Our scripture for today is James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Well, good morning, Harvest Decatur. Let's take our Bibles, if we could, and let's turn to the passage that was just read, James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. James 4, 13 through 17. And as you're turning there this morning, I want to introduce this passage of Scripture to you this morning by teaching you a great Latin expression. Could I do that for you this morning? Maybe some of you are familiar with this. The expression goes like this. Deo valenti. Deo valenti. Let's just say that together. Deo valenti. Deo valenti. That is... That is a very important expression for you to know, Harvest Decatur, and I would encourage you to use it from time to time in your life. And you might wonder, well, what does it mean, Pastor Tony? Well, the word Deo is Latin for God. So Ryan Jackson, whenever he sends out an email to us, he has solo, soli Deo Gloria. It's glory to God alone. Deo means God, and uh, valenti is the Latin word for will or for willing. So, by the way, we derive our English word volition from that uh, Latin word valenti. So when I say Deo valenti, I'm saying God willing, okay? This is the Latin equivalent of Lord willing and the creek don't rise, and why do we say those expressions? Why is this important for us to say in Latin or in English? Why would we affirm God willing, if God wills? Even if we don't express it every time in words, why should we think that? Why should we believe that? Why should we consider that every time we're making plans for the future? Well, we say it and we mean it and we should think it because it's true. Because it's true. Because my plans for tomorrow and your plans for tomorrow are just that. They're just plans. Can we make plans for tomorrow? Yes, we can. Should we make plans? Yes, I think we can. I'm actually going to argue for that here. I don't think James is saying we should make plans. But can we make plans and be absolutely 100% confident without any room for deviation or changes that those plans are going to come to fruition? No, we can't. We can't. If we've learned anything in 2020 thus far, we have learned that. We have learned the meaning of Deo Valenti, Lord willing. In this passage uh, right here, James isn't going to say that we shouldn't make plans. And, and, and by the way, I don't, I don't think the main point of this message either is that, you know, you need to be flexible, you need to be fluid, and you need to be ready for deviation. That's not really his point either. James's point in this message, what he's telling us, is that we cannot make boastful, presumptuous plans for our future without acknowledging God's sovereignty over them. That's the point of this message. And let me, let me frame it a little more positively. Here's what James is telling us. Here's the big idea for this message today. Christians, you and me, Harvest Decatur, 
We should make plans while acknowledging the Lord's sovereignty. And we shouldn't sketch out our futures without acknowledging if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. If the Lord wills, we will do this or that. That's an important caveat in the Christian life. This is quite honestly today, if I'm just being straight with you, this is a humbling message for us. It is. It's incredibly humbling because we're Americans, right? We're Americans. We, we take destiny by the scruff of its neck and we make things happen as Americans. So this is a humbling reality check for us, James 14, 4, 13 through 17, because it's a reminder to us that we're not in control of destiny like we think we are. So if, by the way, if you're not okay with being humbled today by the truth of God's word, you probably picked the wrong day to come to church this morning or to listen to this message online. Because there's going to be some humbling here that James is going to do with us. There's going, to be, there's, there's going to be some statements here that are going to hurt our feelings. Your feelings have probably already been hurt already by the reading of God's word. Are you okay with that? Can you handle that? I know you can. And what's great about this passage is, is if you can really embrace the truth of what James is saying here, if you can really come to terms with this, this surrendering of your life and your future and your plans to the Lord, there is great liberation that comes with that. That is liberating. God is in control of this. I'm not. Hallelujah. And I want you to get there. I want you to get there. So let's talk Deo Valenti this morning, okay? Deo Valenti, I'll give you four humbling truths that followers of Jesus need to acknowledge. Four humbling truths from James 4, 13 through 17. Here's the first one. Our futures are only known by God. Our futures are only known by God. James says this in verse 13. He says, come now, come now. Now that's a, that's a pretty abrupt statement in Greek, just so you know. That's the equivalent of me saying something now, something like, listen up now, or wake up. Come now, he's getting your attention. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Do you feel the presumptuousness of this without acknowledging the Lord? Verse 14, James says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You don't even know about tomorrow. So how can you plan your days in advance for the next year without God, without acknowledging God? If, if only we could be like Biff from Back to the Future 2, right? If only we had access to a time machine. Remember Biff went back in time and into the 1960s and he had that book and he was able to know the sporting events for the next 50 years and then he was able to bet on them and make lots of money. If only we could do that. If only we could hop in a time machine and then go backwards or go forwards or know the future, then everything would be great, right? Or would it? By the way, if you have a time machine, don't use it. Because if we've learned anything in Hollywood about time travel is that it creates all kinds of problems that we can't fix, okay? So let me just say the obvious, that ain't gonna happen. The, the time machine's not gonna work. We don't know the future. And we need to be okay with that. We need to acknowledge God's sovereignty about that. Now, now, what is James decrying here? 
What's he struggling with in verses 13 and 14? Is he decrying planning for the future? Is that what he's upset about? Is he decrying, you know, industriousness and business acumen? No, I don't think that's what he's decrying at all. In fact, you know, James, as you read the book of James, you can see peppered throughout this book, there's these references to Proverbs again and again and again. And the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about business acumen. It has a lot to say about making plans for the future. So I, I know that James isn't decrying that. The book of Proverbs says this, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. James knew that. James read that. James believes that. The book of Proverbs also says this, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Plans are good. James is all for plans, but listen, here's the key. The book of Proverbs also says this, do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day may bring. Don't you boast presumptuously about tomorrow. The book of Proverbs also says this, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. You know, Jesus, James knew this too, right? Jesus was his big brother. Jesus told this great parable about a rich person who tears down his barns and builds up bigger and bigger barns without any willingness to acknowledge God or honor God with his wealth. In that parable, God speaks to this rich person and God says to him, you fool, you fool, building down these barns or tearing down these barns and building up bigger ones, you fool, you do not know that your very soul is required of you today. So what is James decrying here? What is, what is Jesus decrying in that parable? What is the book of Proverbs warning us about? It's about making plans without acknowledging. It's not about making plans per se, just making plans. It's about making plans without acknowledging the sovereignty of God. James says, don't you do that. There's a word for it in English. If I can just summarize the issue here in one word, I'll use this word. The issue is presumption. It's presumption. James is saying, how dare you be presumptuous about what's going to happen tomorrow, next week, next year. You don't have any idea what a sovereign God is going to do tomorrow or the next week or the next year. You know, James, if he was in our day right now, he might say something like this. You don't even have any control over this itty bitty little virus that you can't even see with your eyes. And look how much havoc that has wreaked on your lives in 2020. Who could have saw this in January and February? You can't even control that, James might say to us. And we would all be convicted and be like, you're right. You're right. We don't even have control of that. Are you feeling convicted about this? I am. I'm recognizing quite a lot actually in 2020 that I don't have control of my days. You know, Sonia and I, twice already in 2020, we've made plans to travel to Croatia. And those plans have been thwarted. You know, it was, first of all, it was in June. We had tickets bought. We were planning to go to Croatia. That didn't happen. And then even here recently, we had plans to send uh, Sonia by herself to visit with her dad and with her family and there was a need there for her to go to Croatia. So we, you know, we go to get this obligatory test for COVID-19 so that she can get on the plane and enter into a foreign country and 
wouldn't you know it, it comes back positive. And so now, now we're all in quarantine and I'm making videos for church because I can't go to church. You can't make this stuff up. I feel like I'm trapped in a science fiction movie. Like, this is real life. This is happening right now. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't. And, and you know, we have to acknowledge in this moment, right now, Harvest Decatur, you and me, all of us right now, we have to say there are more powerful forces in this world than we can control. There is a more powerful God in this world that knows things that we don't know. And I know how it is. We don't like that. I am the captain of my own fate. I am the captain of my own soul. I determine these things. God, God in heaven right now just says, you sure about that? You sure about that? You can't even control a little tiny virus. I remember that great song by Rich Mullins. It comes to mind in moments like this. This is based on Psalm 2. Rich Mullins writes, The Lord in heaven laughs. <laughs> he knows what is to come. All of this stuff, he, he knows about it, even though we don't. While all the chiefs of state plan their big attacks against his anointed one. And, you know, to all this, you might say, let's just talk practically for a moment. You might say, well, should I make plans for the future, Pastor Tony? Should I, should I buy plane tickets in advance? I mean, it's cheaper than buying them like day of. Should I invest in my retirement? Should I have a 401k? Should I buy life insurance and health insurance for my family? Should I make a five-year plan? Yes, but make it in pencil. Should I, should I make a business plan for my small business? Yes, I think you should. Yes, I think you can. Yes, I think the Bible allows for that. I don't think James would object to that. But you've got to embrace this one overarching caveat for your life, and it's Deo Valenti. It's Deo Valenti. If you need to say it out loud every day to remind yourself of, of that, then do it. If the Lord wills, I'll do such and such. If the Lord wills, here's my plan. It's a great reminder, by the way, to say this out loud regularly, that the heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Here's the second truth that followers of Jesus need to acknowledge. This is even more humbling than the first one. Okay, so brace yourself for this. Our futures are only known by God. And secondly, our lives are misty. Our lives are misty. And when I say our there in that second point, let, let me just be clear about that. I'm not, I'm not just talking about us as Christians here at Harvest Decatur. I'm talking about the entire human race. I'm talking about Michael Jordan and LeBron James. They are mere mortals. I'm talking about Tom Cruise and Julia Roberts. I'm talking about Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos. I'm talking about Vladimir Putin. I'm talking about Donald Trump and Joe Biden. I'm talking about, you know, Boris Johnson, this prime minister from, from the UK who almost died a few months ago from COVID-19. I'm talking about anyone and everyone in the human race. We as humans are misty. Our lives are misty. The Old Testament alludes to this. Job said in the Old Testament, remember that my life is a breath. Job said, 
Man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. You might say, well, Job was depressed when he said that. Yeah, okay, he had a hard life, or at least a sequence in his life. But th there's truth that resounds even beyond what Job was experiencing right there in that. David said in the book of Psalms, man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. David said, behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths. And my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Moses said this in the only psalm recorded by him, Psalm 90. He actually says this as a prayer to the Lord. He says, so teach me to number our days. Teach us, sorry, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us, Lord, to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Why, Moses? Why? why? Why do we need to number our days? Because he says it in the psalm. He says, we are like dust. We are like dust, says Moses. We are like grass renewed in the morning, here today, gone tomorrow. That, that's what our lives are like. That's, that's incredibly humbling, isn't it? I, I mean, and that was Moses talking. We still read the words he wrote, wrote you know, 3,000 years ago. And yet we hear he's saying about himself, my life is like grass. It's like dust. If that was true of Moses, how much more is it true of us? I mean, I don't know about you, but I like to think of myself as important. I like to think of myself as indestructible. And, and Moses says, you aren't. And if, it were, if that was true of Moses, how much more is it true for me? What does James say about all of this? He knows the Old Testament. He read Job, he read Psalms, he read Moses. He knows what these men wrote. James says, look at verse 14. He says, what is your life? <laughs> what a great rhetorical question right there. What is your life in the grand scheme of things? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then poof, vanishes. You are a mist. The Greek word for mist here is this word atmis. Otmus. You, ladies and gentlemen of Harvest Decatur, you are Otmus. You are Otmus. It kind of sounds like hot mess, doesn't it? You are a hot mess. That might be true, but <laughs> that's not what James is saying here. He's not saying you're a hot mess. He's saying you are Otmus. You are missed. You are, you are here today, gone tomorrow. Another way to translate this word Otmus is a puff of smoke. Your life is fleeting. Your existence is ephemeral and evanescent, like fog that rolls in and rolls out on a cold, humid morning. That's our lives. Now, we need to be careful here. We need to not overstate the case. There are scriptural truths that contrast this truth. And so we need to reckon with that, okay? We need to hold these truths in tension. Yes, we are misty, but we are also made in the image of God. We are imago Dei. And that's important. Our lives are fleeting, yes, but we have eternity written on our hearts according to Ecclesiastes 3, chapter, 3, chapter 11. We are, we are built for eternity. And what James is emphasizing here is not that our lives are meaningless. No, that's not what he's saying. Please don't derive that from this. He's not saying that we're, our lives are meaningless. I know that can't be true. You know how I know that to be true? Because Jesus died for us, for our lives, so that we might live forever with him. So I know these lives aren't meaningless. And neither is James saying that, you know, tomorrow we die. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. I know he doesn't mean that here. 
Please don't derive that conclusion from you are a mist. What is he saying then? What is he stressing here? He's stressing the brevity of life. He's saying that one day you're 21 and then the next day you're 40. And then the next day you're 60 and the next day you're 90. And life moves quickly. We're here today, gone tomorrow, and time marches on. I've been reading this biography of Stephen Decatur. And I I just found out reading that biography that Decatur was actually 41 when he died. And, you know, this, this is important to me. I like to track, you know, how old people are when they die. So I know the people that I've outlived in this world. So, you know, I remember when I turned 40 thinking to myself, I've outlived Diedrich Bonhoeffer. I've outlived Martin Luther King Jr. And now I hear Stephen Decatur, you know, died at 41. I'm 41. And I mean, that, that's shocking to me. Sure. I mean, sure, he died in a duel, which I didn't know until I started reading that book which I probably should have known because I live in Decatur, but I'm learning now. I, I'm, I turn 42 in a few weeks. I'm going to outlive Stephen Decatur. Maybe. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what tomorrow holds. All we get in this life is a few years, maybe 40 years, maybe 70, maybe 90. And here's the contrast. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is infinite and eternal in ways that we aren't. So, For you to plan your life, for you to plan anything without any reference to God or any submission to God or without any acknowledgement of his sovereignty, that is foolish, yea, ludicrous that you would do that. That's what James is saying here. Compared to God, we are a mist. We are a mist. You know, even unbelievers have to reckon with this. They do, and they sing songs about it. Willie Nelson, he sings this great song called Help Me Make It Through the Night. So I I don't reference Willie Nelson very often, so enjoy this while it lasts. But he, he sings a song about the brevity of life. And he says, yesterday is dead and gone and tomorrow's out of sight. And it's sad to be alone. Help me make it through the night. I don't care if it's right or wrong. I don't try to understand. Let the devil take tomorrow because tonight I need a friend. That is the country song equivalent to eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Okay, and actually, let's, let's just stay in the country music genre. Garth Brooks sings a similar song. He sings, If Tomorrow Never Comes. It's, that song is slightly more wholesome than the Willie Nelson song. If Tomorrow Never Comes. And you, you know what? You know what James is saying here? Tomorrow might not come. You are not promised tomorrow. Tomorrow might not come, so... If you're putting your hope and your trust in your own plans without God, that is foolish. That is foolish. Which leads to our third point. Here's a third truth that followers of Jesus need to acknowledge. Our plans are contingent on the Lord's will. Our plans are contingent on the Lord's will. You know, to all of this, you might say, okay, okay, James, so we shouldn't make plans without acknowledging the Lord. Got it. Okay, I won't do that anymore. We shouldn't think more highly of ourselves than we ought because we are just a mist. Okay, got it. I won't do that anymore. We shouldn't be presumptuous about our future. Got it. Okay, so so what do we do? We don't do these things. What what do we do? Can you give us some positive thing that we, we do instead? 
and you know to combat this mentality in human nature. And here's how James answers that. It's actually pretty simple. Look at verse 15. James says, instead, this is the Greek word anti or anti, and it's indicating here a strong contrast. Instead of all that, instead of presumptuousness and arrogance, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills, we will do this or that. You know, by the way, James isn't giving instructions here generally to the world. You know, don't expect the people to say this on the New York Stock Exchange, okay? That's not going to happen. Don't expect people to say this in the Republican Party or the the Democratic Party. You know, if the Lord wills, we'll win the... They don't say that. They don't talk like that. James's statement here is expressly countercultural. And it is specific instruction for us as Christians. James is saying to the church here, you as Christians should know better than to presume, presume upon the Lord. You should be different from the world. You should use this phraseology because you're different. Deo valenti. Christians should, should say, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. Because we should be presenting even a message prophetically to the world that we are submitted to Christ. Alsterbeck says it this way in his sermon on this passage. This is so good. Here's what he argues. He says, the Christian will be distinctive in our culture. By saying, God first and God willing. That is so good. Let me say that again. The Christian will be distinctive in our culture by saying, God first and God willing. God first with my time. God first with my money. God first with my talents, with my everything. God first and God willing. You know, Beck talks about when he was a kid in Scotland and in the church that he grew up in, when they would advertise upcoming events for the church, they would always add these two little initials to that advertisement. Uh, they would add DV, DV, almost said CV, DV. You know, you know what those initials mean, what, what they meant in that context? Deo Valenti. So, so he would say an advertisement for, you know, we have Christmas Eve service, this December 24th, come, DV, Lord willing, <laughs> you know? I, I just marvel at that, how not even that long ago people would acknowledge that so abundantly, even in front of the culture. And, you know, I'm tempted <laughs> with our bulletin, just with every announcement we put in the bulletin from now on, just add a little DV, DV. We have a men's retreat coming up in January, men. DV, right? Do I need to say it? It goes without saying, doesn't it? And I heard this last week, actually, that it was impolite in some Puritan settings when you would write a letter and send it off to somebody. It was impolite to not add those initials, DV, just as an acknowledgement before God. I mean, it was, it, was a, it was a custom in that day. Now, listen, listen, hear me on this. I'm not interested in bringing back that custom, really. I mean, that's not what this is about ultimately. And I don't think that the perfunctory writing of those initials is going to somehow appease God here and, and meet what he's asking of us. I don't even think that the perfunctory saying of this, God willing, God willing, God willing, I don't even think that's what God ultimately wants here. I don't. There are plenty of people in this world that can just parrot those words and it doesn't mean anything coming from their heart. What does James want here, ultimately? 
He wants a change of the heart. He's calling us to a change of heart. Remember my message last week on the tongue? It's not ultimately about the tongue, about just behavior modification. It's about changing the heart. What did Jesus say? From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. When James tells us you ought to say, if, the Lord's, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. He doesn't mean that just saying these words will safeguard us from the displeasing of the Lord, like some kind of magical mantra. These words have to reflect the intentions of our heart, our hearts that are willing ultimately to submit to God's will. Right? Right? Y'all know this. How many times did Jesus speak to the heart issues? John Calvin explains this. He says, It is indeed right and proper when we promise anything as to future time to accustom ourselves to such words as these, if it shall please the Lord, if the Lord will permit. But Calvin says, No scruple ought to be entertained as though it were a sin to omit them. For we read everything in the scriptures that the holy servants of God spoke unconditionally of future things, when yet they had it as a principle fixed in their minds that they could do nothing without the permission of God. In other words, it's not a sin to, to forget to say God willing. I forgot to say it. I sinned against God. That's, that's not a sin. Okay, plenty of scripture writers talked about the future without in, indicating that. But, and, and it, that's because their heart believed that. And live that out. But, but Calvin does say here, it's, it's good to say it. It's, it's probably a good reminder to yourself regularly to just say, Deo Valente, Lord willing. Only if the Lord wills will I do such and such. And it's, it's ultimately the intent behind those words in the heart that's significant. And here's why this is so important, Okay. Here's why we need to be reminded daily, even, that God is in control of our world and ordering our steps. Here's a final truth that followers of Jesus need to acknowledge. We need to acknowledge that our presumptuousness, our presumptuousness is foolish and sinful. Okay, so this is not like, well, we, you know, we should do this. It's a good custom or, oh, yeah, it's better to do this than to not do it. And, oh, we need to deal with the heart, but if we don't, it's not the big deal. No, 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 no. James clenches this great argument here by saying the reason we need to do these things is because there's, there's evil in us that needs to be purged. There's an evil presumptuousness in what we do and what we say. James says this in verse 16. He says, as it is, you, you boast in your arrogance. <laughs> All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. What sin is James talking about here? What, what is the right thing to do that we fail to do in verse 17? What, what's that reference to? Well, James uh, talks here about two different kinds of sins that are prevalent in the human life. There's the sin of commission and there's the sin of omission. The sin of commission and there's the sin of omission. So the sin of commission is in verse 16. The sin of omission is in verse 17. Let me show, show you what I mean by both, both of those. 
In verse 16, James talks about arrogant boasting. This is that individual that boasts about their future plans without acknowledging God. You know, this, this act, this verbal act, this commission before the Lord is, is sinful. It's evil. Is all boasting sinful? No. We know from the book of Romans that there's a good kind of boasting. And there's some ways in which Paul actually encourages us to boast. We should boast in the Lord. We should boast in our salvation in Christ alone. We should boast in the fact that we are God's children, that I am a child of God. We should even boast in our weakness, says Paul. But we should not boast in our own works. We should not boast in ourselves. We should not boast, according to James here, in our ability to go hither and yon and make business and do this. And I'm in control of my life. I don't even need to acknowledge the Lord. That kind of boasting arrogantly is hubris. It's sinful. It's prideful. That's the sin of commission. Now, there's a sin of omission as well. In verse 17, this is a sin that, that can take place even if you don't say anything, even if you don't boast arrogantly. Let me just give you an example of that. Let me say, let's, let's just, as for an argument's sake, let's say that you grew up in an Amish context where boasting was culturally impolite. That was a faux pas, so you didn't boast. But you also, in your heart, don't acknowledge God's sovereignty. So you don't boast outwardly, but inwardly you kind of say, well, it's in my own power. I'm going to take control. I'm going to go here and I'm going to make a lot of business. And you fail to give honor to God, to acknowledge God, to surrender yourself even ultimately to God's sovereignty, you quietly believe that you are indeed the master of your own faith. James says that sin of omission there is still sin. It's, it's still prideful. It's still arrogant. It's still presumptuous. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. What's the right thing to do? What's the right thing to say? What's the right thing to think? The right thing to say, the right thing to do, the right thing to think is this. God is sovereign and I am not. God is in control and I am not. If God's will, I, if God wills, I will do such and such, thus and thus. Even if you don't say it, you've got to believe it in your heart. And if you don't believe it, or if you forget it, it's good to be reminded of it. That's, that's why James wrote this, to remind you of it. Keep in mind, you're not sovereign over this world. All it takes from God's perspective is an itty-bitty little virus to change all of your plans. I think this is a reminder in James 4, 13 through 17 that we are not as strong and untouchable as we think we are. <laughs> we aren't. We aren't. And you know, some of you might be really discouraged at this point. You might think, well, Pastor Tony, sins of omission, sins of commission, like, oh my goodness, I am such a sinner. What am I going to do about this? And you know, if you're feeling that right now, you are not far from the truth. You are not. And it's, 
We are sinners. Even when we try to do our best, we're going to fail this and we make mistakes and we think more highly of ourselves than we, we should. We are sinners. We are guilty before a righteous God, guilty of sins of commission, guilty of sins of omission. We are guilty. We stand unrighteous before a righteous God. What are we going to do? But Jesus, right? But Jesus, Jesus came to this world and he died on the cross for our sins, sins of omission, sins of commission. Jesus died for our sinfulness, past, present, and future. So, look, this is a convicting passage. It probably is for all of you right now, thinking through this. But let me just say, like I said last week, with the tongue, when you're feeling this conviction, when, when God is speaking to you through his word, through his servants preaching his word, let me remind you to do two things. I need to be reminded to do these two things often. First of all, you need to own it. Just own it. I am a sinner. I am presumptuous, Lord. I have committed these sins. I need your help. Own it. Repent. Confess. And then secondly, Fall on God's grace, right? Fall on His grace. His grace, His payment for sin on the cross, past, present, and future sins, and embrace the promise of 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right? Hallelujah. That's true. You know, our big idea for this passage today was this. Christians should make plans while acknowledging the Lord's sovereignty. We shouldn't sketch out our future without acknowledging if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. And, and that is such a powerful truth that I want you to embrace uh, and I want you to know and believe. But like I said last week, you will fail in these things. You will and to be honest, that's why communion is so precious as a reminder. A reminder once again about what Christ has done for us, how he has paid for our sins. So we confess and, are, and we repent. Maybe y'all need to do that right now as we prepare to take communion. Lord, I, I've made these mistakes. I've committed these sins. I've been presumptuous. Just lay that out before the Lord right now and then fall upon his grace. Thanking him for the, for the bread that you're going to take in just a moment that symbolizes his body broken on the cross for our sin and the cup representing the blood of Jesus shed for you. Take a moment even right now and remember and let me pray as we prepare our hearts for communion. Lord, thank you so much for the truth of your word for James 4. I am convicted, Lord. And I know there's many people right now listening to this who are convicted as well. And yet, Lord, we do not need to feel condemned by those convictions because we are saved not by our works, not by making up for our sin, but we are saved by the blood of Jesus. We are saved by our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, our Savior. So, Lord, remind us of that afresh, even right now. Lord, may we 
God, never be far in thinking about the truth of what you did for us, how you paid for our sin, how you saved us. God, may we live in the light of that truth and that grace, I pray, in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.